sheathe your sword, traveler, and stay a while. It's time for another thrilling installment of The Chaotic Neutral Chronicles. The Chaotic Neutral Chronicles is a serial adventure story written and produced by me, Michael Monaco, drawing on notes from a long-running tabletop campaign. Episode 19, A Helping Hand. When we last left our heroes, Gel, Nutmeg, Sister D, and Inga returned from the jungles victorious over their hateful, scaly foes. While celebrating their victories, they spied an owl-riding elf tumbling from the sky. Now, having found the fallen elf, they seek to avenge him and his comrades against the forces of the mysterious Red Hand. Chapter 1 In which Gel roots around in his backpack. Sister D sat in the cart with the battered elf, her hand resting on his head. The golden-tressed foreigner was asleep now, thank the gods, although his rest was fitful and disturbed. Nutmeg was leading them, riding at the fore, atop Piggles, spyglass in hand, eye to the western horizon. The rain was holding off, good. Gil hated the thought of trying to hunt these red-hand goobers in the rain. The elf, Anabor, he called himself, had ranted and raved all night, and it had been a long night. They'd patched up the worst of his injuries, but he was pretty fucked. Pierced here and there with arrows, but more importantly, he'd shattered bones in his arms, legs, and chest when he made his crash landing in the field. It was a miracle he was alive, and only Sister D's dedication was keeping him there. They were searching for a watchtower. An abandoned watchtower, off the road by a good ways. That was where the Red Hand had holed up, according to Enabor. His desperate story had come out in gasps of lucidity between the darker, stranger ravings about something called Dagda. Gel got the gist of what Enabor was talking about. The Yoi Kal had finally tracked the mysterious raiders and chased them off the road, hounding them until, that is, they reached the Watchtower. There, the Red Hand raiders turned and rained hell upon the Yoi Kal, killing most of the owls in the first salvo of deadly arrows. Enabor had only survived by luck, and even then... Even then... He can't have flown that far, said Nutmeg. Did he mention any other landmarks? No. Sister D murmured her millionth prayer. Enabor sighed, and his fits subsided somewhat. Do you see anything, Nutmeg? I'll take a look from the top of this hill, said the dwarf. They were coming up on a little grade in the shadow of a scraggly knoll. We do want to be careful. Can't let on that we're coming. Absolutely, said Gel. In the ideal version of this, we kill all but one of them before they even know we're there, and then we do unspeakable and cool torture stuff to the last surviving guy for intelligence-gathering purposes. That's right. They came to a halt, and, together, Gel and Nutmeg ascended the hill, on foot, crouching down. Gel crawled on his elbows to the crest of the hill, only drawing his crossbow from its straps across his back when he found a decent position. Both he and Nutmeg had their spyglasses out. He had some idea of what he was looking for. Inga had been helpful on that front. She'd provided a long, 
long, long, long local history of the watchtowers and the forts and the this and the that and the who's it and the what's it. Long to the nth degree story short, 150 years ago, in the waves of immigration from Folkor when the halflings made their thousand-mile marches to escape the gnome kings, some of them had set up their little towns and settlements wherever they damn well felt like it, including in some pretty stupid places. The industry and bustle of halfling workers was no match for the dangers of the wilderness. Goblins, ogres, even manticores and griffins in those days before the frontier highway was more secure. According to Inga, the towers were all that remained of these half-baked attempts to raise life in the woolly wilds. And hey, huh, there it was. Nutmeg's instincts had been good. They both peered through their spyglasses at the watchtower across the plain, rising from a grove of scraggly trees. It was a squat little thing, round and fat, probably shaped much like the halflings who had built it. Gel grinned at the thought. Stupid fat halflings. Alright, let's go, said Nutmeg, putting his spyglass away and crawling forward. Gel shot out a hand and stayed the dwarf. Whoa there, we need to surveil this place. Did you see any goblins? Yeah, totally. Well, I didn't. Where was it? On the roof, dude. Take a look again. Kel looked again. No goblin. Nutmeg, I don't see shit. It might not be the right tower. Even if it is, we need some sense of scale, of numbers. There was something in the dwarf's eyes that made Gel's words catch in his throat. A look of... of whatever had popped up back in the jungles. But then Nutmeg sighed and lay back down, spyglass returning to his eye. No, you're, you're right, Gel. Besides, I'm, I'm cooking up a plan. I think I've got a good idea here. They watched for the better part of an hour, although Gel took a break to check on Dee and Enabor. The owl rider was laid out and snoozing when Gel returned to them. Dee looked exhausted. Find the tower, Gel? Yeah, we're gathering intel now. How's the patient? Look, I won't lie, he's pretty fucked up. And you don't say fucked up often, so I know you're serious. He broke almost every bone in his body when he hit the ground, and he had a half dozen arrows in him before that, and these arrowheads. Nasty, nasty work. No, I know, made by cruel hands, that's for sure. A thought occurred to him. He went to his pack and sifted through the shit, looking for the little package from Yana Goldtress. Sister D watched him, but mostly she just leaned back in the cart and looked like hell. Poor kid. She'd been working on the elf like there was no tomorrow. Dagda, she said. Doctor who? No, Dagda. What Enabor was saying, Dagda. Yeah, you said you don't know that name. Some goblin tribe leader, maybe? Maybe. She lifted up her sun hat and scratched her stubbly head. Maybe. It, God, it, it rings a bell, you know? Like something that might have come up once, maybe, in passing? Some minor deity could be, offered Gel. He found what he was looking for, the vial of Barrow Elf's Whisper. I mean, it's a little weird. Given, you know, all the evidence, I assumed this red hand stuff had more to do with organized crime. Again, given that they've been organized criminals. He frowned. But then again, there's the thing with them looking for the dragon. Many dragons. A horde of goblins, beasts, dragons. It is the dragons that give me pause, said Sister D. 
I mean, I'm not a dragon expert, but I imagine it can't be easy to recruit a dragon to a horde of goblins. Cyveric certainly seemed reluctant. Maybe this Dagda connects the goblins and the dragons somehow. Yeah, maybe Dagda has one really big red hand because of a shellfish allergy. Oh, you're full of good ideas. Don't I know it. He waggled the vial of Barrow Elf's whisper. Alright, I gotta go check on Nutmeg. He said he had a plan, and, you know, that could go either way. Chapter 2 in which Nutmeg implements his plan. It had been a strange couple of days. Strange week. Strange... Uh, no, he could stop at week. That was enough for now. Nutmeg felt as though there were a half dozen little nutmegs riding around in his skull, each vying to be the one at the helm. So why not give a new one a shot? He'd been cooking up this character for a while now, consciously or not. Inspired by the zeal of Sister D, the earnest and bright missionary fervor. Still didn't have a name yet, but not all of his many facets had to have different names. He spoke the command word at the crest of the hill, and his burnished breastplate became a flowing robe of gold and white emblazoned with a red sun. The red sun wasn't technically a part of the Palladian canon, as he understood it, but maybe it would appeal to these red-hand goobers. This is a terrible plan said Gell, not for the first time. He's not wrong, admitted D. Nutmeg, I just don't understand why you think this will work. I mean, it'll either work or it'll be funny. I win either way. Or you die. Get obliterated by hobgoblin arrows like Enabor's entire squadron. Well, <laughs> I mean, that just ain't gonna happen, said Nutmeg. I am far too cool. He set out down the hill, letting his friends vent their helpless protests. Whatever, you know, it was a lovely day for a walk. He whistled a little tune and wandered toward the tower. The halflings who had built the tower long years ago had also, it seemed, tried to lay a road, or at least cut a path. There were cobbles here and there left over from the building of the tower and thrown down to start the unfinished road. Crows called, and one hopped along in the undergrowth not far from Nutmeg, cocking its head and quirking. At least three hobgoblins in this tower. He was sure of that. He'd seen them through the spyglass, patrolling on the roof. They looked like Forg from Katakar. Big, shirtless goons with red hands patterned on their chests. He kicked a stick. No, wait, that wasn't a stick. It was an arrow. A stray arrow that must have fallen just short of the owls of the Yoikal. If that arrow had caught Enabor center mass... Ah, but no time to ruminate on that. Another arrow suddenly appeared, a few feet away from Nutmeg, thudding into the dirt. He stopped. The tower was still a few hundred feet away, shrouded by the wild little trees around its base. No hobgoblin was visible, but someone had shot that arrow. Hello, he called. Does anyone live here? Be gone, came the reply in a hoarse, menacing voice. This place is ours. I come in peace said Nutmeg, raising his hands. He'd thrown his cloak over the axe on his back and hoped that would be enough to fool them. Have you, uh, have you heard the good news? The what? The good news, he shouted. 
Hey, it's, it's really hard to talk like this. Can I come closer? There was silence, and then... Very well. Proceed to the Ring of Trees. He proceeded. The trees, he realized now, were apple trees, grown wild and thick. That's far enough, called the voice. Who are you? Have you heard the good news? What is this good news? Speak quickly, and then be gone. We ought to kill him now, came another voice, a little quieter from inside. The good news of Palladius! The sun has risen, and today is blessed. I am but a simple pilgrim, bringing the word of Palladius to the frontier lands. He had a whole backstory, but figured it would be best to let that come up organically. Oh. The voice almost sounded disappointed. Do you have gold and silver on you? Only what I need to sustain me, he said, a little more quietly. Eh? I said, only why I need to save me. He smooshed his words together. For fuck's sakes, said the voice. Hang on. A sound of tromping inside. Then a door opening. Another. Then the front door swung wide. A hobgoblin stood there in the doorway, dressed head to toe in a thick red robe. Nutmeg winced at the many, many intricate little scars spiderwebbing across the hobgoblin's face. That had to have been done intentionally and had to have hurt. Around its neck, it wore a human hand on a leather thong, petrified, mummified. You have one minute to explain yourself, the hobgoblin said, before we kill you and take all your belongings. If we find your explanation satisfactory... We will only take all of your belongings, and probably your tongue. And if you try any funny business, my colleague up there will put an arrow through your stupid skull. The priest, this was definitely some kind of priest, gestured up to the second floor window. Another hobgoblin leaned out, brandishing a longbow. Nutmeg hoped fervently that Gel was watching. I am but a simple traveling priest, said Nutmeg. My name is Egbert. It came to him so easily. He was a natural at this. I, I seek to convert all I meet to the light of Palladius, god of the sun. H have you heard the good news? A priest, sneered the hobgoblin. Fool that you are, you have come to me. Dagdag, I did this, I have no doubt, to give me yet more sport. Dagda? Nutmeg cocked his head. What's, uh, what's a dagda? Indescribable, said the priest. It raised one hand, the other clutching at the human hand around its neck. I have heard enough. No god but Dagda. No worship but my own. Perish, dwarf! The fingers of the mummified hand clenched into a sudden fist. Nutmeg staggered back. Something was inside him, grabbing at his organs, squeezing his lungs, his lungs. He gasped for breath and staggered down. Egbert was going down. He'd barely been born. What in the fuck? The priest turned. The choking sensation stopped. There was the cracking of many brittle branches, and then a thump. The hobgoblin with the bow had fallen from the window and was snoring soundly beneath the apple trees. One of Gail's bolts was in his shoulder. 
Nutmeg Bert did not waste time. He gasped the command word, and his armor was revealed. He tackled the red hand priest, who managed a stifled bellow before Nutmeg clamped a hand over the hobgoblin's mouth. The priest struggled and writhed. The hand around its neck flexed and twiddled as if in sympathy. Nutmeg took his fist like a hammer and pounded down again and again and again until the priest lay still. Probably alive, hard to say. No time to think about that now. They were arrows from above, and a pair of hulking hobgoblins storming out the front door. Nutmeg drew his axe. An arrow struck him in the arm. He flexed until the shaft snapped. Come on, dickasses! More arrows from above. He twisted and juked as he ran to meet his foes. Gail would take care of him. Gail was watching over. If Egbert's god was Palladius, Nutmeg's god was Gell. The hobgoblins at the door had broad-bladed machetes, sharpened on both sides. One circled left as the other ran to meet him. Nutmeg watched their movements. They had a little plan, these doofuses. The one on the left was fast, coming in hard. He saw their game. Lefty baits him into a left feint, and then center butchers him on the straightaway. He ignored the left feint and threw himself bodily at center, and then stopped short. He dug in his heel. He pivoted on the back foot. The double feint. Lefty was not ready for that. The axe whirled, an arc of steel between the molecules of air. Lefty fell apart, bloody and ragged. Nutmeg's other foot left the ground. He let the swing carry him in a full circle. Center got it next. The blade caught his arm mid-swing, and the machete fell useless to the dirt. With a practice check, Nutmeg twisted the axe vertical and swung up, bisecting the hobgoblin's head from beneath. Another pair of hobgoblins had fallen like chunky rain from the window above, pierced by Gell's bolts. One was asleep like the first fallen goblin, but the second was limping towards Nutmeg, face twisted in a rictus of pain, machete drawn. Nutmeg dropped the axe and picked up both machetes from the fallen hobgoblins at his feet, he caught the first awkward slash with ease, knocked the machete away, kicked out the broken leg from under his wounded foe, held both machetes to the hobgoblin's neck, sliced. He ran to the door of the tower and bellowed up into the depths, Anyone else want the good news? Chapter 3, in which religious proselytizing continues, sort of. Nutmeg, I've gotta say, I'm still not a fan of that whole thing. Sister D leaned up against one of the apple trees. She'd brought Enabor and the cart up to the tower. It was decided that they would spend the night within the old ruin. Nutmeg was apparently tired. He got shot like a dozen times, but the freakish dwarf hadn't even noticed. Gell was sitting with his back to a tree, polishing the lens of his spyglass. Worked pretty well, that thing. He'd gotten a few good bolts off at a long, long range. What? asked Nutmeg, who lay sprawled in the dirt, munching on some cheese. I was just exploring my more religious side, you know? It was, uh, it was nice to get in that mindset. I do feel like there was some mockery in your portrayal, though. Well, I... sorry. Whoopsie. Nutmeg picked up a pebble and threw it at their prisoner, hanging in a complicated rope contraption from the apple tree. Hey, hey, fucko, wake up. Gil had taken some pride in tying the knots that kept the Red Hand cleric swaying from the branches. It wasn't a hanging or anything, they weren't into that. But Sister D had been convinced that there might be some danger in giving a priest of an unknown god access to the soil beneath his feet. 
Long argument aside, they'd figured out a good way to sort of hogtie the priest from a strong, weighty bow. Hey, said Nutmeg again, throwing another pebble. I said, wake up, my bitch. Ow. Yeah, dude, yeah. Gail set the spyglass aside and walked to their dangling prisoner. Good morning, sweetheart. I go to my god with a bloody smile, growled the priest. Be gone from me. Let me die. Uh-uh, man, said Nutmeg. Give me that good stuff. You know, I'm, I'm exploring my religious options. What does the Church of Doug have to offer me? Dogda, hissed the priest, and even Gel felt some chills up and down his spine. Dogda, I worship Dogda, and Dogda repays me, in this life or the next. Straight answers, Gel poked the hobgoblin. Where'd you guys come from? West. The great black mountains of the west. Long have we traveled in search of new allies, and fleeing from the talons of the miserable elves. So you're recruiters? Seekers. Witnesses. Witnesses to what? The Red Hand, he gasped as if in ecstasy. The Herald of Dagda's coming. Dragons taking wing over the Black Mountains. I feel like we're not getting anywhere, said Sister D. What is Dagda? My god. The hobgoblin licked its lips, looked to each of them in turn. In the waning light, its battered, bloody face was a terrible death mask. Dagda came at the end of the beginning. In the beginning, the dragons reigned. Until Dagda came and unmade the world. Then came the dwarves, and so on, and so on, and so on. But now, but now the herald is here, the red hand, and Dagda will come again. Gel did not care for this. Not one bit. He drew his dagger and removed a toe. The priest shrieked. Think we're going to get anything else out of him? I don't know. Gel inspected the toe. Gnarly, horny nail. Seems like we've got a wandering group of radical terrorists here. Fringe gang from the larger organization out west. Not sure we're getting much more. Kill me! Shrieked the priest, perhaps picking up on the tenor of their conversation. Kill me! Kill me! Send me to Dagda! No, came a hoarse voice. Enabor, the elf. He was sitting up in the cart. Leave him in the ropes. Let him rot. He's gonna keep us up all night, said Nutmeg. I need my beauty sleep. I mean, thanks for the input, Anabor, though. M much appreciated. No, hang on, I've got this. Gel had a few doses of Barrow Elf's whisper left. He coated the tip of his dagger and jabbed the priest in the shoulder. With a few more suicidal shrieks, the priest faded to a deep, grim coma. <sighs> all right, Gel sighed. Now what? Back to Dwaraway, said Nutmeg. We gotta check in with Mr. E. I would like to request your assistance, said Enabor, in a weak voice. He sipped from a borrowed canteen. I am far from home. Alone. Without my steed. I owe you a great debt. My life is yours. But should your path carry you west, 
I would ask that you escort me to my home. Of course, said Nutmeg. Yeah. Naturally. Really? Ennabor raised an eyebrow. I, I did not expect you to be so accommodating. Hey, you're in the shit, man, said Nutmeg. We gotcha. We do have to go to the city of Dwaraway first, though. Is it a safe place, this city? asked Ennabor. I, I do not spend a great deal of time in highly populated places. Yeah, it's, uh, it's totally safe. Nothing to sweat. You'll love it there. Chapter 4 In the Black Mountains She plucked the strings of the harp with idle, wandering fingers, choosing the notes at random. The third act of the opera was missing... something. Something. The paean to Dagda's ferocity was the centerpiece of the act, but the following aria was lackluster. Not a strong enough melody to carry the energy of the paean. Best to wander across the strings, then. Let the winds carry the new melody to her mind. High above the world, here in the Black Mountains, Orlai could find some measure of peace. Some. The days were full of plans and training and recruiting the many, many bloody-minded wild young hobgoblins from the lower tribes. They had united nearly all the major clans, yes, but there were always holdouts, always more work to do, and always something. It was only here, high in Dagda's Kirk and the light of the moon, that she could finally make some progress on her songs. Perhaps... Perhaps something in the aria drawn on the booming war drums. Contrast the soprano's lilt with the thunder of great battles. Orlai, you're still awake. She hadn't heard him come in, but there he was. The door stood open, the hall beyond wreathed in shadow, and there he was. Dressed head to toe in colorless robes, his face hidden, she knew why, no false modesty there, he'd strolled the ancient caverns naked as could be, but if her guards had realized who was coming to visit her, they might have wasted his precious time with worshipful bleedings. It was hard for him to walk unmolested among the faithful. Lazar, you surprised me. I didn't know you could be surprised or lie. How goes the opera? It goes. How is the East? Good. His voice sounded strong. She'd always loved his voice. Lazar might have made a good singer if he'd chosen. Instead, well, he hadn't exactly chosen this. He'd been chosen. Our path is clear, I believe. The time is at hand. Is it? We're short a few dragons, at least. We've heard little from the giants of the far north. Uh, Lazar, I don't know. I do know, and it is time. He unwound the robe, bearing himself to the moonlight. 
Red and scaled from head to toe, eyes as bright as ancient stars, Dagda's chosen, Dagda's champion. He was unmistakable and profound, the scion and warrior. Does this mean I've got to leave the Kirk? Orlai pouted. I'm not done, Lazar. I was busy, and, you know, this place has grown on me. I thought I'd miss the canyons, but you've certainly made this place habitable. I appreciate the window view, by the way. You will have to leave. He hardly seemed to hear her, unsettling in his single-mindedness. For a time, you know your job. The Red Hand has five claws, and you, you most lovely of them, you have quite a role to play. He smiled and fixed his gaze on her. She shivered and turned away. Are you not a performer, Orlai? The hobgoblin nodded. I am, and I am yours, Lazar, until the end. Lazar raised a single red claw and plucked a low string on the harp. Beyond the end. Beyond. This is not the end of the world. Just the beginning of the next. That is a wrap on Season 2 of the Chaotic Neutral Chronicles. As always, I have been your writer, producer, creator, Michael Monaco. A huge thank you to everyone who has listened, shared the show, recommended it to friends, whatever. It is an honor to know the story is being heard. Be sure to follow chaoticneutralchronicles.com. I will be putting up the ebook of Season 2 in December of 2020, and it'll include all new doodles for every episode. I'm going to take the rest of this year to get cracking on Season 3, which will premiere on January 5th, 2021, with Episode 20, Into the West. Keep your swords sharp and your wits about you. The Chronicles will return.